In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. On September 2nd, 1942, the Imperial Japanese Army made their way through Papua New Guinea and cornered 10 Anglicans and murdered them. Uh, it was part of a larger move against uh, Europeans and those natives who were uh, converted to Christianity. In fact, over those several weeks, over 300 Christians were murdered by the army. And, um, and the, the Anglican portion uh, of those 10, like so many others, were medical missionaries and teachers and pastors and those who were working in the missions and had been there for for many years they knew of course uh, starting in 1940 and 41 that the japanese were on their way and that when they got to the island uh, they would uh, persecute and possibly kill uh, those that were working in the churches and they, they of course had a discussion like we would today about what their response should be. Should they run away or should they uh, you know, flee the island or what should they do? Their bishop, Philip Strong, wrote a letter that is uh, one of the most powerful I've read uh, from a bishop. Uh, it's very short. And he simply said, uh, we have a duty to perform. He said, what's expected of us by those that sent us on mission? To stay. What's the expectation to one another to stay? What is the expectation of Christ to stay? And he said, how can we celebrate and remember the passion if we ourselves aren't willing to sacrifice? How will we look ourselves in the face if we flee? And so they stayed and many were martyred and uh, Bishop Philip Strong in 1947 petitioned uh, that they be named the Anglican Martyrs of New Guinea, and we have remembered them uh, to this day. The message that Bishop Strong gave to the people of New Guinea, I believe, is the same message that the prophet Isaiah is giving to the nation of Israel in the face of their imminent catastrophe by the Assyrians. You remember that at this point, Isaiah is speaking to a divided Israel. You remember that after Solomon, Rehoboam uh, is unfaithful and they divide in civil war the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, the prophet Isaiah is part of the royal family of Judah. He is prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel and he's saying that your demise is going to be soon. The Assyrians are soon going to come. And what does he do to them? He strengthens them in resolve. And he reminds them about who they are in the face of this catastrophe. Because so often their temptation, like our temptation, is just to blend in with those who are set upon violence. When we're in a group like that, it's uh, so tempting to, to kind of blend in with those who are violent, to not stand out, to, to not draw attention to ourselves, to uh, defer to those who are in power, uh, to kind of kowtow. And the prophet Isaiah is saying, remember who the Lord your God is and that you are going to stand for his name. You're not just going to subsume uh, to the religion of Assyria. You're not going to practice this pagan worship. And he promises them salvation. He promises them uh, 
the coming of the Messiah. And indeed, the prophet Isaiah's promises of the Messiah are some of the most uh, dramatic and specific about the coming of Christ. Indeed, we can know about the life of Christ strictly from reading the prophet Isaiah. Everything that we would want to know about the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is outlined for us in the prophet of Isaiah. Uh, But he outlines it 700 years before Jesus comes. So the prophet Isaiah is doing two things. He's telling us about the coming of the Messiah, and then he's comforting and he's giving hope to the people about the prophet. But that hope was 700 years in coming. So often when we hear about the promises of God, we want those promises right now. We have no expectation of uh, suffering. We have no expectation of patience. We have no expectation of enduring or perseverance. We want it right now. And this promise that he makes them is bold, but it's a promise, again, that doesn't get fulfilled for 700 years. The promise is that the Messiah will come and that he will do these things. The blind, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. He does it. The ears of the deaf unstopped. He does it. The lame man leaps like a deer. He does it. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. He does that. Waters will spring forth. He is the living water, and He promises the living water, the Holy Spirit, to us. That living uh, Spirit that comes to us like an everlasting stream. He has provided this. He has done all things and done them well. Christ fulfills all of these promises. He heals, and He provides us with everlasting life. The other thing that the prophet Isaiah does is he touches on uh, this problem of anxiety. We can see that uh, even these uh, thousands of years ago, the people of God were still prone to worry. They were still prone to anxiety. And what does Isaiah do? He gives a prescription for anxiety. He gives a prescription for the um, treatment of worry. And what is it that he suggests that they do? What is his prescription to them? His prescription is that they behold God. That they behold God. What does that mean to behold God? To behold God means that we are continuously looking towards Him. Our focus, our intent focus is upon God and His ways. We're focused upon who He is. We're focused upon what it is that He's done. We're focused upon the qualities of His character. We're focused upon His nature and what it is that He's done in creation. We are continually focused upon the ways of God. We do this through the daily reading of Scripture. We do this through daily prayer, morning prayer and evening prayer. We do it through contemplative prayer that we'll do in our cars and while we're brushing our teeth. We are always supposed to be focused upon the ways of God. The alternative is to be focused on the sin and tragedy of the world, the dangers of the world, and these little things that start to consume us, these little details about our lives that start to consume us and take away our hope and take away our joy and confuse us. Uh, But our call is to behold, to be focused on the Lord. Indeed, human consciousness can only behold one object at a time. This is something that we know clearly in our study of human anthropology, that our consciousness can only truly behold one object at a time. We like to talk about, uh, you know, um, multitasking, but that's juggling, right? Yeah, you're holding the ball, but you're quickly throwing it and holding another. And the danger of juggling is that you're going to drop not just one ball, but all of them. 
while holding in our our consciousness carefully God and his will for our lives to be focused upon him and his ways and his love brings about in us a peace and a clarity and a knowledge about what it is that he's doing in the world and how it is that he calls us to minister. And that great peace and courage and strength that comes is exactly what we see in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is fulfilling all of these prophecies and we see him uh, go to the outermost boundaries of the the largest that the nation of Israel ever was. He goes to these coastal cities of Tyre and Sidon and he uh, ministers to them. They had long since fallen to pagan rule. They had long since fallen to Assyria. Uh, There are a few remnant Jews there who were mixed as these Samaritan peoples and uh, he goes and he ministers to them and he lets us know that their um, their repentance is profound because they recognize their distance from God while when he goes to Jerusalem especially and still to the region of Galilee he finds so many of these uh, people who are thinking well I have Abraham for my father What, what else do I need I have Abraham and all the promises that were given. There's nothing else that I need to do. And uh, they're not able to truly repent and to come to the Lord with a true meekness and a humility. But when he comes back to Galilee, we see this one example of a humility, of a meekness that brings on the part of these friends this man who is uh, deaf and dumb to be healed by the Lord. It's very interesting, this healing. Like many of the healings we read about in the Gospels, the man who is healed does nothing. Isn't that interesting? So often we, we know that in our, in, in our consciousness, we know that, that the Lord uh, heals out of His love and His grace, but still in the back of our minds we think, oh, maybe I need to say just the right prayer, maybe I need to do just the right thing, maybe I need to be just the right person so that I can earn God's love, and maybe if I'm going to say it just the right way or I'm going to think just the right things, I can get God to act the way that I want Him to act. And yet none of that is present in the healing of this man. We don't read anything about him sinning, we don't read anything about him repenting, we don't read anything about him coming to the Lord. It's simply his friends and he's healed, it seems, on behalf of their uh, intercessions for him. And we don't read anything about what he does after except that he's able to speak with perfect clarity, which is one of the ways that we know that this is uh, God who is healing, that Jesus is God in his healing because uh, no one else can heal to this degree. Uh, We all know that somebody who is born deaf uh, is never able to form the kinds of words that someone who is born with hearing can do. That those few years of of early life are so important to the ability to form words and sounds. And the ancient Israelites knew this. The people of Jesus' time knew this. They knew people who had been deaf and then had had some healing. And they knew that their speech still bore that pattern, that mark of that deafness. But here is someone who uh, is made completely whole and their speech is perfectly clear. This is an abundant sign that this is uh, God himself who has healed this man. And we see that it's done because of the begging of his friends. Now when we're about to say our prayers and the prayers of the people, we call this kind of prayer intercessory prayer. That's a really pretty word, isn't it? Intercession. We like to talk about intercessions, those prayers that we say on behalf of others. It's very beautiful. It's not begging. But here we read that what these folks are doing is they're begging for this healing. To be a beggar requires complete humility and meekness. 
To be a beggar requires us to say, I have nothing. I have nothing. I have nothing to offer. Everything that I have as a beggar is going to come from somebody who's going to give to me. So they come to Jesus begging for their friend. They're not able to offer anything. They understand there's nothing that they can provide that it's going to have to be out of Christ's love for this man, his love and compassion for him that this healing is going to take place. And so they come forward and they beg out of their knowledge of who God is. So they have beheld God, they've beheld Jesus, they've understood that he heals, that he is gracious and compassion, and their response to this knowledge is to beg for the healing of their friend. And in doing so, they become doers of the word. St. James that writes this, uh, this beautiful letter is uh, called by the church James the Just. This James, uh, there are several that we read about in the New Testament, is the brother of Jesus. He's one of the, um, of the children of uh, St. Joseph, the husband of Mary. We read about Jesus' brothers and sisters. These are Joseph's children uh, from an earlier marriage. And so James is this, uh, this brother, this son of Joseph. And we read that uh, in the scriptures that his brothers and sisters and in the tradition uh, convert and uh, they uh, become uh, very important in the life of the early church. Indeed, St. James becomes the first bishop of Jerusalem, and he's called the just because he's the one that is over the council that we read about in Acts chapter 15. You remember the first council of Jerusalem. James is the one that oversees that council. And so what James is writing here is a very passionate instruction to the people of God in response to this truth that we can't earn our salvation. Right? There's nothing that we can do to earn the salvation of God. There's nothing that we have to offer. What, what are we going to give in exchange for our salvation? There's nothing. What can we do to earn the love of God? There's nothing that we can do to earn His love. But like so many truths in the church, what happens is that a heresy gets attached to that truth. And the heresy that gets attached to the truth that we cannot earn our salvation, that it's freely given, is that then there's nothing that we need to do in response. That somehow, since we can't do anything to earn salvation, then there's no response to be given. And salvation becomes this kind of a golden ticket that we're given, that we just put in our back pocket so that we can wait until we die, and then we can just go to heaven. We become trophies on a shelf, right? I'm just going to sit here and wait until I go to heaven. And this is not the picture of what it means to be deified, to be filled with grace, to be justified, to be changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit that the New Testament gives. In fact... I would argue that every single book of the New Testament after the Gospels is about what our response to the filling of the Holy Spirit should be. The, the heresy uh, that is named here is antinomianism. This idea that there's nothing to do. And St. James combats this uh, with incredible power and strength. He says that we become new creatures, right? We become new creatures. We've been born again through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as new creatures, we're like a newly married couple, right? A newly married couple is going to come together and they're going to live a life together. They're going to live and they're going to 
to work together. A family lives and works together. We don't just say, oh, I got married and then that's it. There's nothing else for me to do, right? We know that to come together as a family, there's going to be change and there's going to be plans and goals. There's going to be ways in which we're going to have to learn how to live in this new way. And this is what St. James is saying. He's saying we now are called to live in a new way as Christians. Um, And he says that we are called to produce the righteousness of God. We're going to receive with meekness the implanted word in order to be doers of the word. And we know that it's important because he says it three times in as many verses, right? We know that when somebody's writing a letter and they repeat themselves three times, what's the message there? Listen up. This is important, right? In verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He's saying to just be a hearer is to deceive ourselves. In verse 23, he says, If anyone hears the word and is not a doer, he's like a man who looked at himself in the face in a mirror and then forgot. We've all, I think, had the experience and known people and done it ourselves where we've made a plan to do something or we've, we've dedicated ourselves to something and then we kind of drift away and we forget about it and, and we move on and it's like all is forgotten, right? We'd made plans, we'd made uh, promises and then we kind of drift away from those. He says we're not supposed to be like someone uh, who does that. He says uh, that we're supposed to persevere. What does that mean? He's saying this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to do the will of God. It's going to be hard to respond to the word of God. This isn't going to be easy. It's going to take work. It's going to take dedication. It's going to take uh, strength and courage to do this. He says that we are to be like those who persevere, not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And he says we will be blessed in that doing. Because we're dwelling with God, we're interacting with Him, we're living with Him. And when we dwell with the Father and we live with Him and we respond to His call for us, to those daily, daily calls that He give us to act for Him, we're blessed in the doing of them. Though we might be scared, in our obedient faithfulness, we will be blessed. And of course... He says the hallmark of this, the hallmark of this doing is to be serving those who are the most at risk in society, those who are the most at need, widows and orphans. And it's been my great pleasure at Jesus the Good Shepherd to see over and over again the love and compassion that our people have had for widows and orphans, the care and concern not only through the Women's Resource Center, uh, not only for the giving of the orphans in places like uh, Juba at Good Shepherd School, but in our own midst, those who have been lonely and those who have been lost. We have brought them in and we have loved on them and we have brought them close to us over and over again. And when we do that, when we bring those who are lost, when we bring those who are broken, when we invite the widow and the orphan, we care for them and we bring them into our family, we are now responding to the love of God, the grace of him who has come to save us, and we are members of his family receiving his grace and blessing. Can a bishop today write a letter? Like Philip Strong's? I hope, so. I hope so too. I hope that I could write one. I hope that I would respond faithfully to one. I'm not sure. So often we hear about danger and our response is, let's all be safe. Let's make sure that we're safe. Let's go away and be safe. 
But the call to go into action and to be faithful, to be able to look at ourselves in the mirror when we hear about the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that is the call of the church. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we will have the courage to write those letters and to respond to them in faith in the face of danger and persecution. May we be so convicted and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that we too may be doers of the word and ready to lay down our lives for those that we love and those that we've been called to serve.